0: Oh we move away oh we move away
1: Welcome, everyone, to the Roaring Lions podcast, where we meet interesting lions and discuss relevant topics affecting Lions Club International. I'm your host, Lion Paul Fugit, and our topic today will be Lions Quest. My guest today is past international director Tom Gordon. Tom Gordon is from Newmarket, Ontario, Canada, and was elected at the International Convention held in Chicago in 2017. PID Tom is a Lions Quest trainer and the trainer of trainers, and has presented Lions Quest workshops across Canada and the United States since 1988. Past International Director Tom, welcome to the Roaring Lions podcast. Well, thank you, Paul. I, I really enjoy being invited. It's good to have you, sir. And first of all, to you know, introduce the audience to you, tell us a little about yourself. Who is
0: Tom Gordon? Wow. Oh boy, it depends on who's talking, I guess. Uh, so I'll talk for me. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, I guess I, was, uh, I was, became a teacher at a very young age because uh, at the time, uh, they needed a lot of teachers. So we only had a one-year teacher's uh, college program. So it was one year, and then I was teaching in school. So at 20, I was uh, starting to teach in elementary schools. Now, teachers now are better trained than we were back then, but uh, they really needed bodies at the time. So I started teaching in 1970. And along the way, I picked up a couple of degrees uh, in education and one in Canadian studies and one in psychology. And uh, basically, I was uh, progressing along in my teaching career when all of a sudden my neighbor across the road said uh, well since you talk to groups all the time if you're talking at school you could probably talk to adults and I said yeah I could do that I guess and he was starting a business that was human resources and he said well I'd like you to come and work with me part-time so I did that for uh, about a year and a half and then I decided to leave teaching and worked uh, full-time in human resources and gradually I took over and owned the company myself Uh, And uh, I did that for about 30 years and did a lot of training along the way. And another one of my neighbors asked me one day, because I was doing training, to uh, come to his Lions Club and speak about goal setting. And so I came to his Lions Club and spoke about goal setting. And at the end of the meeting, one of the Lions said, well, why don't you join us? And after listening to what they were doing in Newmarket, I decided that it'd be a great idea. So I did. I joined them. And so that was in 1981. And then in 1982, they decided in Newmarket that we needed another Lions Club. And uh, I was on a fairly new part of town and a new street. And uh, one of the uh, Lions organizing said, I've talked to your neighbors uh, around there, and they're all interested in becoming part of the new Lions Club. So He said, can you go out and just touch base with them? So I went out and touched base with them, and I got eight of them to agree to be in the Lions Club. And then I was sort of stuck with changing to the new Lions Club because (laughs) I had convinced uh, these folks they should be members of that new Lions Club. So in 1982, I became a charter member of the New Market North Lions Club. That's how that worked. Now, a you know how this goes, Paul. If you're in a Lions Club and you have a, a certain uh, job that you do, the Lions want to make use of your skills. So I was sitting in my Lions Club one night, and the Lions Club president came along, and he said, uh, you were a teacher, right? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, here's your job. And he plunked down in front of me some information from the Quest International Center. And Lions had just uh, become affiliated uh, with uh, the Lions uh, uh, the Quest International Program it wasn't Lions Quest back then. It was just the Quest National Center Program. And uh, he said, you should take this job. So I took that job and I started uh, going around to Lions Clubs and talking about uh, this program material I saw that looked wonderful uh, for schools at the time. Because it really was a program working on social-emotional learning. Because we do a pretty good job, really, in schools. So about doing uh, reading and writing. Uh, but you know, some of those kids come out of school really, really, really good at those academic skills, but they have no skills for living once they get out of school. And that's basically what Lions Quest was based on. And so, uh, gradually with my, uh, human resources business, I was starting to do Lions Quest workshops as well. And as that followed, we needed, uh, programs, uh, in, canada that are were a little bit different than what you use in the states i mean we have different spellings and we have different icons we use here in different sceneries and sayings and those things had to be changed around but really the structure of the program is pretty universal uh so universal now it's in 120 countries around the world so yeah so it's yeah it's a pretty universal program but at the time it was only in the states and then it was in canada so gradually uh we started using it around Canada, and uh, I guess over 10 years, I did uh, about 30 presentations a year, so it's something like 300 and some odd Lions Quest trainings that I did over those uh, those 10 years, and, uh, and did my business at the same time, but I did more actually with Lions Quest than I did with my own business, but uh, it seemed to work out okay in the end anyway. So we uh, we graduated with that program. We're now, you know, when we began, we were on that very first edition. And now it's like 40 years later almost. And we're on our fifth edition of Skills for Adolescence. I think it's the third edition of Skills for uh, Action, which used to be called Skills for Living back in the beginning. And fourth edition of uh, Skills for Growing. So the programs have have changed a little bit in their format. Uh, it used to look like typewritten pages and now it's very glossy in three colors and kind of you have, uh, you know, websites you can go to and those kinds of things that we didn't have, you know, back in the, in the mid eighties. So that's how my, uh, sort of my working career progressed. And along the way, uh, you know, somebody said it would be a great idea if I became club president and then zone chair, region chair, second vice, first vice governor, international director. And uh, coming off the board, I'm now on the uh, Lions Quest Advisory Committee for LCIF. So I'm still involved with Lions Quest, even, you know, it's almost 40 years later. I'm still doing Lions Quest work. I don't know if that helps, Paul, or did I take you completely off task?
1: That's perfect. So you would definitely say the best service project you've ever been part of is
0: Lions Quest. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's so many, so many benefits uh, to Lions Clubs you know, to be involved with Lions Quest, first of all, you know, and it took, took me a while to figure this out. But you know, if you're going to do a Lions Quest workshop and train 30 people to use the program materials, why not do that in a Lions Hall? You know, and have the Lions involved with part of that training. And if that happens, then basically, you've got this great vision of lions and teachers, or we do a lot of community work now we do community workshops where they aren't necessarily all uh, teachers who are taking the program using it in other settings uh y m c a and uh, you know Sunday schools and boy Scout groups and those kinds of things. So we use it in some quite different settings than initially we were using to it in now
1: well Tom, i don't know if you've noticed or not, but I am a a uh, an alumni of the Lions Quest program. So I'm proud to say that. <laughs> and you told me that once
0: <laughs> at one point. Yes, I did know. <laughs> I don't know if that makes you feel old, but uh, yes, I oh, am. That's great. That's great. You know, and, and I have uh, a lot of people I meet. And uh, in fact, I went and did a workshop in Manitoba. Um, let's see, I guess it would be six months ago now, and I did that workshop in Manitoba, and there were two people in that workshop being trained again that I had trained 20 years before in another city and even in another province, and they were now attending uh, training again because the materials were different. They're trying to upgrade, you know, and they remembered me, which I thought was pretty cool.
1: <laughs> yep. For me, I uh,
0: graduated from the program in 2005. So. Wow. That's, that's a while ago, too. Wow. I guess initially I took the training in 1985, because they wouldn't let me use the materials until I took the training, so I had to go take the training myself. So,
1: uh, uh, Tom, I know you've put a lot of effort in leadership and leadership into Lion's Quest. How do you see uh, these two areas of lionism being connected? Well, you know, and
0: it, it's funny how it's progressed along the way. You know, we do a lot of training now um, in Lions, and uh, I was part of the Leadership Development Committee on the International Board for two years. And I, I think I brought to that uh, the sense that, you know, the sort of the structure of Lion's Quest programs with looking at the social and emotional learning that has to go into somebody being successful in life outside of school or outside of work. You know, those kinds of skills are things that you need to practice. Those don't necessarily come uh, naturally. And so those social and emotional skills, you know, you really have to work on in order to get them polished up. And you have to do that in a setting that is uh, safe one that you're not at risk, you know, to try some new things. And as you try those new things, you know, you get a chance to practice them if they're taught explicitly in a in a setting where you feel safe. And so basically Lions Quest programs are structured around that. And now a lot of our trainings now, if you look at the structure of our trainings, they're sort of structured around that too. We look for a setting that is safe. We look for a setting where people can be free to discuss and uh, we pro- we teach the skills directly. We don't assume that people know uh, the basic skills that they need to know to be lions. And I guess, you know, that has a lot to do with changing demographics. You know, in uh, 1985, we had uh, a lot of middle managers, people who were picking up skills that they would use to run a lion's club, administrative skills. And since 1985 up to 2000, we've lost, you know, that big bulk of middle management people. They've been replaced by computers and people don't have those skills. And so we have to go back now and teach those skills. And so leadership development now is actually teaching a lot of the administrative skills that we assumed people would know before.
1: And uh, for those who aren't familiar Tom, can you explain what the Lion's Quest program is and what type of curriculum it teaches?
0: Yeah, so basically you need to look at each grade and you have to be age appropriate for your materials. And I have a great story for this because when I was showing teachers, I would go into schools and I would work with uh, the schools after they had been trained, the ones that were here locally. And I was in a grade two class and uh, one of the students uh, came up to me after the lesson and he said, she said, uh, Mr. Gordon, are you sure that you know, alcohol will wreck your liver? And I said, yeah, yeah, if you have too much alcohol, it'll wreck your liver. She said, well, you know what? That's great because I hate liver. And so, you know, that's inappropriate because that person was too young to handle that skill at that age level. And it was an inappropriate uh, thing to teach kids that, you know, it's going to wreck your liver if you have too much alcohol. They shouldn't be having any alcohol at all at seven years old in grade two. And so... When we looked at the program materials, you know, we looked at it and our program materials were okay, but some people get overzealous and they teach outside the program materials. So if you look at them, you'll see that they're structured from unit one to unit six, basically in a spiral sideways in each grade level so that the skills from one lesson are then applied in the next lesson. And then the skills from that lesson are applied in the next lesson. So there's a spiral effect. That goes from Latin sort of laterally along the program materials so that you, you know, gradually you get more progressive in the level of skill building. And then we also spiral upwards grade to grade. So in grade one, you're going to learn some stuff about uh, making decisions. And in grade two, you're going to learn some more stuff about making decisions, but you're going to learn that at a different level. And you're going to learn the stuff about making decisions before we ask you to make decisions. But we're gonna give you practice in making decisions because we're gonna talk about something called service learning, where the kids look outside themselves and they try to do a service for somebody else, but they have to plan that service. And then they have to talk about it at the end. We want them to celebrate their service, but we also wanna talk about what went well, what didn't go well, what could, could we do better next time? And so that we're working on our skills sort of laterally trying to build them one into the other to become more sophisticated and also grade by grade building up. And so even the programs are divided into three parts. We have skills for growing that goes uh, sort of pre-kindergarten now up to grade five. And then we have our skills for adolescence that goes to grade six to grade eight, sometimes grade nine, because some schools are still structured that way. And then we have uh, skills for action for high schools. Sort of a different sort of tilt to the high school program. The high school program is all geared towards doing service learning, looking at pulling in those uh, skills you need in the world of work. So, you know, we talk about making uh, resumes and covering letters and, you know, contacting agencies and contacting people that you would have to apply to a job for. So those things are part of that. But basically, it's surrounded by doing service learning. And the learning they get out of the service learning is really hands-on. And it really is uh, neat to see kids at different age levels do different things. So we have kids in kindergarten, you know, thinking, well, what can a kindergarten kid do that's a service learning activity? You know, in one school, very creative people I've worked with over the years. In one school, what they did was they had a Christmas concert every year. And what they decided they would do is that the kindergarten kids would film or videotape their Christmas concert. And then they would send that over to the seniors' home that was just down and around the corner. And when they sent the tape, they also sent uh, Christmas cards to all the seniors in the seniors' home. And so that's at that level. And then you look at the other end, when they're using it in high schools, when we have people out there, you know, who are are trying to learn to do a job, they're working into uh, trying to do some kinds of things with uh, building a career base, and so they're now doing a service for something like the Cancer Society in Canada or our uh, CNIB, uh, Canadian National Institute for the Blind. They would do a service project in that setting or they would decide on their own service project and do something for the community that needs to be done. And one of the things in Newmarket that we had done was we had two of the high schools on their own decided that they would both paint fire hydrants in town. Now, I don't know if you if you work this way where you live, Paul, but in our district, you know, the high schools sort of have a geographical area that they take care of. They have the feeder elementary schools come into them from a certain area. So the one high school is on one side of town and the other high school is on the other side of town, and they were going to paint the fire hydrants. They both decided independently to do that. So, of course, they would paint them in the school colors, and of course, the two schools have different colors right so they worked towards the middle of town and then they had to decide how they were going to work that out in the middle of town And so every other fire hydrant got painted by the other school um, now since that time I've noticed that all the fire hydrants have been uh, cleaned off and they're all painted red but at the time it was kind of cool to see the fire hydrants in school colors different things in different areas right for a service learning project
1: yeah, that sounds really great, Tom. Uh, I, uh, I can't remember what we did for our service learning uh, project mm-hmm. when I was in eighth grade. I, it's been so long, 15 years, but I know we definitely did some type of service learning as well when I took Quest. Um, uh, I know yeah. that sometimes the programs can be quite expensive. Uh, how do Lions yes. fit from being involved with Lions Quest?
0: Well, you know, basically, you know, what you look at is you need, you need to get some funding from your Lions Club to say, hey, we want to get our club out there and get involved. in Lions Quest, But it's going to take some money to do that. And, you know, along the way, in one of the positions I had, I was the youth opportunities chairperson. And the district governor said to me, he said, you need to go to the clubs and ask for some money to do some workshops. And I said, oh, okay, I'll go out and do that. So I went to And I I misunderstood what he was saying. And hes I thought he said all the clubs. So I went to all the clubs. And we had uh, 48 in the district at that time. And I ended up with $20,000, which was enough to do two workshops. And so uh, then I had to get a a workshop set up. And I didn't know how to do that. And so we had a, a past district governor who became an international director later, who was heading up the program. His name was Bill Moody. And I phoned Bill Mooney, and I said, Bill, I I got some money here. How do I get a workshop set up? And Bill said, "Uh, well, I don't know, but here's a phone number. Give them a call. So I called down to uh, the Quest National Center, and they said, well, here's what you do. You get 30 people. You set up a hotel. um, We'll send out the books. We'll send you a trainer. uh, Give us a date. And so we did that, and that worked very, very well. And during that workshop, we had a trainer, a nice lady, Cindy Castagna, who I think is still involved. I'm not sure. I haven't talked to her lately. Um, And she came up and uh, she did the workshop for our Canadian teachers in this district where I live. It's York District School Board. And uh, they were thrilled with the workshop, but they wanted to know why we didn't have a Canadian trainer. And uh, so I phoned Bill Moody and I said, well, Bill, how how do we get a Canadian trainer? And he says, well, I don't know. But here's a phone number. And you can phone this phone number. And so I phoned the phone number and they said, well, what are you doing in July? So that's how I became Lion's Quest trainer. Uh, and so, you know, basically it was, you know, uh, Lion needed to be interested to do that. And so Just because somebody in your district, you know, you have a champion who really thinks the program is good stuff. And, you know, if you have a teacher in your club, show them the materials. That's the greatest way to sell them. Show them the materials and say, hey, here's the materials you think this can help in your class. And most teachers look at that and they say, you know what? This could save me a lot of time. I would take a little bit of investment of time, one lesson per week. Depending on the grade level, it could be anywhere from 10 minutes up to 40 minutes a week, and I can teach the social-emotional skills that will make my classroom run a lot smoother. The kids will develop their skills and in, in just to basically being responsible, and uh, they'll feel better about themselves. They'll be closer together. We have less nitpicking and bullying, and we have less uh, truancy. We have kids who want to be in school. Uh, even grade point averages go up and they, you know, if you go to Lions Quest International, they will tell you that they have all that data. If you need that data, you can go get it. Uh, and go to LCIF now, I guess is where we go. They give you that information if you need it. And, uh, it just works out that it's a time saver. Teachers can spend more time on teaching content rather than handling behavior problems. And, uh, It works out very, very well. Works out very well for the school, too. If the whole school is using Lions Quest, it works out well for them. But it really starts, you know, with one person taking the initiative to get some funding, setting up a workshop, and then you're getting people trained, and then it just spreads from there. And I, you know, in the beginning, we had a lot of new members that came from uh, parents of kids who were being taught Lions Quest programs in school. Because there is that parents component. We have the parents come in to show them the skills that we're teaching their kids. And we try to do that before we teach the skills to the kids so they can be a support. And, uh, it's. Tends to work out, it branches out a little bit better then. And that's, you know, some of the fears that schools have. They say, wow, there's all these components. Holy moly, you got this curriculum on top of all the curriculum I got to teach. And then you got the parents' component, and then you got service learning. And we even talk about school climate, if your whole school is trained, how you can look at a school theme. And they say, that's a lot of pieces. And it is a lot of pieces, but you just do a little piece at a time, and you build to the whole picture. And whole schools have been changed. Whole schools have been changed around. Their whole school environment has changed because they've used Lions Quest programs. And in the last workshop that I did, the one I was doing in Manitoba last November, they, uh, they really did have a good year with it. And I've had lots of uh, emails and uh, messages about uh, how well it's worked in their community in Northern Manitoba. So that's nice to see. Yeah, that is nice to see. And if I
1: remember correctly, uh, Tom, there is grants available through LCIF,
0: correct? Yes, there are. Um, and you know, that's an LCIF grant, and you you uh, put those grants in for developing uh, basically uh, your base to start off a Lions Quest program. And there, there's some pretty big grant money available. I mean, there's some grants that go up to twenty thousand dollars. So. Uh, you know, and they always have the matching grants. We used to have something called Core 4, but they've changed those. And so now you have grants for specific workshops and leadership grants that sort of work in there. Another offshoot that's uh, happening lately is that we've seen uh, a lot of uh, Leo clubs are using a high school program as sort of the basis of their programs. So we have Leo clubs taking on Lions Quest uh, programs um, basically as their uh, club program. You know, and because we do service, service learning is obviously a part of what we do. So I always tell Lions that, you know, service learning is sort of Lions and training. <laughs> so how do
1: Lions get involved with Lion, Lions Quest? What's the first step for that individual club to help out their school district?
0: Yeah, I, I guess, you know, the first, first step for an individual club is to look to your district to see if you have a Lions Quest chair. Uh, and if you don't, then you can go directly to uh, Lions Clubs International Foundation and uh, go on the Lions Quest tab, and you can get any of the information you you need there, but you can contact somebody um, because we have people who work in different geographical areas, and they look after those areas. And uh, they have different uh, get-togethers where they explain the program. Uh, they'll send you sample curriculums. They'll give you brochures. Uh, that you can use um, to help introduce the program. But I always found if you can get, you know, sort of a, a couple of uh, lessons out of a program um, and then take them into the school and show them to the teachers and to say, well, here's an example lesson if you want to look at that and uh, see what you think. You think that's a good lesson? Then, you know, I have 30 of them for each year. You're going to use the program. Basically one a week.
1: What uh, Tom is the greatest success story that you were able to teach yourself or that you've heard through your trainings and success stories on lion's quest.
0: The greatest success I've had with this program, I guess would be in my own school district. Um, uh, basically because uh, I had taught in the school district and the, uh, I went to the local school where my kids were going to school. How about how about self-interest there? I went to the local school where my kids were going, and I got two of the teachers that I had met. And I said, uh, look, I got this program. Here's the material. See what you think. And if you think about that, I have a Lions Club that's willing to pay for you to go and get the training. And uh, son of a gun, they, they bought that idea, and they went, and they got the training, and they came back and used it in their school. And you you know what happens with teachers, because you're involved in schools, Paul, is that when somebody's doing something that's working, everybody else wants to know what it is. And so these classrooms had changed dramatically when the teachers started using Quest. It didn't change in a day or a week. It took a couple of months. But they found that they had a big change in the attitude of the kids, and it was all for the positive. And uh, now the other teachers wanted to know what that was about. So then we had to have a workshop for that school. And then we had to have a workshop for a couple of schools. And then the board decided, wow, this is a pretty good program. We're going to set this up. And we're going to run five or six workshops a year. And so, and that happened, um, you know, in the mid eighties and it just went crazy in my own school board. And uh, that's just about the time that I left teaching and started to do my human resources work all the time. And I was doing Lion's Quest workshops, uh, as you were saying earlier, all over North America. And even I got into the Caribbean too, which is pretty good for a guy from Canada to go to Cayman Islands to do a Lion's Quest workshop in January. It was pretty neat. Tom,
1: for a rough estimate, how many uh, active programs are there in Lion's Quest for school districts now? A rough number estimate for you. Wow.
0: Well, I think, you know, if if you go to the Lion's Quest website right now, they say that, you know, we're using this in 120 countries and it's, you know, it's something like 14 million children are being taught in classrooms, uh, Lion's Quest every year. So, and, and that's a rough estimate. It could be a little bit more, it could be a little bit less uh, because you don't know exactly how many kids are in each class and, you know, different schools and different lines of districts, as we know, report things a little bit differently. And so it, the estimates are never going to be exactly right on, but they know what, what kinds of materials they ship out. So from the materials they ship out every year, they're figuring about 14 million kids a year are now getting that instruction. And, you know, they're also getting it now in 20 different languages. In the beginning, there was just English. Well, there was American and English. And we, uh, in Canada, changed the American to English. And we had two programs then, you know. But basically, it started from two. Well, now there's 20. And when you do the English to language translation you also have to do a little bit of cultural translation too so there's a lot of work involved in those translations and so now different countries have different head offices for lion's quest now sometimes it's uh, handled by multiple districts and sometimes it's handled by an office so in canada we have lion's quest canada that handles our lion's quest work across the country in uh, europe they have a european uh, Lions Quest Foundation that does it over there. So it, the setups are a little bit different too. So uh, in in the states, of course, you have uh, Lions uh, International Foundation is really the basis of that. But different multiple districts handle their multiple district for their training. Um, and I don't think any districts anymore handle that all just for their district. I think they uh, work with their multiple district in these days anyway.
1: Tom would. Would I be right to say that Lions Quest might be one of the more underrated programs that International does?
0: I, You know, I I think Lions underappreciate Lions Quest programs. Uh, What they do appreciate is when they see, you know, the school react to having the program materials in their school and what happens at the school. And if they see that, you know, that's positive in their own communities and they see what they've done for the school and then they become more involved in the school and, you know, and that leads into other things because different districts have, you know, effective speaking contests and they have uh peace poster contests that we do in schools. And so those kinds of things just come a little bit easier, you know, once you have that foothold in the school with either Lions Quest or the other programs work both ways, I guess, but uh, you know, that part of your community in your school, You know, if you ever try to close, you know, a local school down, you see what kind of uproar you cause in your community. Everybody wants their local school to continue. So that's uh, something that I I have found in the past that, you know, Lions really react to. And again, I said, you know, we we did get a lot of members initially out of uh, Lions Quest programs. And uh, we had a lot of teachers and a lot of parents uh, became uh, Lions members because they saw the benefits of the Lions Quest programs. Now, I don't know if I answered your question or successfully avoided it. At that, point.
1: oh, I, I I think that was a good answer, Tom. Uh, <laughs> I, I do have a question though, since you talked about the uh, service side. Would this count towards in the uh, My Lion as a service activity? Would you? It does it count?
0: Well, oh, sure. You know, the planning that you have to do for a Lions Quest workshop, I mean, it's the same as, well, it's not the same as, but it's sort of a scaled-down version of running a convention because, you know, you have to have a a place set up to do the training. You have to have uh, a lunch brought in for the training because we do one or two days, depends where you are, uh, trainings now. Um, So you have to have all those things set up too. So there's a lot of, you know, that uh, service type of work to do the setup for that also you know if you're going out trying to sell the program if you're going from school to school and knocking on doors and showing the program that's all service work because you're doing it for the benefit of the community
1: as i I don't see lion's quest being reported a lot and i know there's several lion's quest programs in my district but the club is not reporting that they're teaching that in schools uh Is, you know, is that something that clubs should be reporting on my line that how they're serving, you know, like, say they have 100 kids in that class, shouldn't that count as 100 kids for a service project of uh, youth, right?
0: Um, I guess initially from the initial training. And that's, that's sort of what's difficult. You know, if we train somebody who's a brand new teacher and they're going to teach 30 to 35 years, you know, and they're going to teach, you know, somewhere between 25 and 30 kids each year. Look at the number of kids we've influenced along the way. Mm-hmm. You know, that training, it, it compounds itself tremendously. And so can you count all that service? No, well, I don't think you can. I think, you know, if we train somebody and they go in and they do their teaching of the program, as long as they're teaching the program, you know, and then teachers move schools and another school doesn't want to support it. And, or they change subject areas and that subject area can't support it. And they're not teaching it anymore. So you'd have to keep track of that. But I think as long as the teachers are using the program in your schools, yeah, you can say you serve those that number of people, you know, because you're doing Lance Quest programs. A uh,
1: question I just thought of, Tom. Is there some apprehension from clubs or leaders in clubs to go to the school board in that district and say, hey, we want to do this program uh, because they just don't want to hear no? What is the best way to approach a school district on how to implement the curriculum for Lions Quest in their school?
0: I, I, I wish I could say there was one. Uh, There's, you know, school boards are different. Um, School districts are different. Some school districts have, you know, a good financial base and some do not. Um, Sometimes the Lions are supporting schools for just basic supplies. And sometimes teachers are paying for basic supplies out of their pockets too. So, you know, schools don't have a whole lot of money to be involved. So, you know, you best best start off, you know, in a small, small way with that one. And maybe we go to a couple of schools and we get teachers that say they would like to be trained. And then uh, we can go to the school board and say, look, we have these materials. I have teachers in this school, this school, and this school who would love to be trained. And now, what we can do is we can say, okay, our district has this amount of money. We're going to pay for the training. We're going to pay for your materials. Can you send us your teachers for a day or two days, depending on where you are, uh, what kind of training is done in your area? So it, it really depends on the situation that you're in. Now we have some very good people who will give you some very good materials you can use as background at uh, Lions Clubs International Foundation. And so the Lions Quest people there under uh, Matthew Kiefer uh, are doing uh, just a bang-up job of trying to supply materials. And they've seen a surge, or at least we saw a surge up until uh, this pandemic hit us in interest in Lions Quest programs. Uh, was really coming along in the fall. It sort of flattened off now was everything else in Lions right about now. Um, we have to pick this up again and start going again. And I know our lions in Canada have really put a pushed an effort to get this going again for us in Canada. And uh, so we're pushing it on our end over here. Uh, UNESCO, uh, part of the United Nations, has picked up on Lions Quest program, so they think they're the best thing since sliced bread, and they've pushed them through. You know, another eighty countries. That's how we're up to one hundred and twenty countries now. Uh, it's because the UN has really done that pushing and DEA in the States. Uh, for you guys down there, uh, they uh, picked up a good uh connection with this, and we even have a um, a, it's sort of a, I guess it's a uh, well, yeah, I guess you would you would sort of say it's a an online club. It's called COPE, it's the Knights of, of uh, uh, Prevention and Education. That's what K O P E stands for. Is a Lions Club made up of uh, people who are interested in drug abuse prevention, education and prevention, basically. And uh, those folks have got together and formed a club uh, across the states. And I think if you know Daniel Elkins, he's a part of that. Charles Short is a part of that. and they've set that club up there to you know, promote Lions Quest materials, and basically in settings other than schools. And so uh, there are a lot of youth groups now that are using the program and uh, COPE is doing a lot of that with uh, a lot of support from your DEA down there. And uh, uh, I, I guess that's a different uh, tack than we have. We have worked with uh, um, the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police in Canada uh, to do a lot of training of their officers and uh, in different communities, they can see, the rationale for having it in their communities, and they take the initiative to do that too. So, you know, you have drug enforcement agencies who can see the benefit of uh, doing our program, our Alliance Quest programs. And I, I can't speak for Europe. I know I'm on the advisory committee, but uh, we don't talk about uh, different uh, uh, agencies that are, are using the program. We talk more about how do we make the program materials better and how can we get more people using them. That's basically our mandate. And uh, a lot of universities now are teaching uh, their teachers, are training their teachers in Lions Quest before they go to uh, uh, teach in the schools so they have that background uh, when they go there. And uh, they bring the program with them and it spreads from them. So there's a lot of different ways you can do that but again you know the Lions Clubs International Foundation has a lot of great material and it's really uh just a phone call although these days not everybody answers their phone right away uh when they, everybody gets back in the office full time maybe that'll happen but uh, you have to wait a little bit for a phone call or you can do it by email and you can do that off our website off the Lions Clubs International website you'll see there's that little tick at the top for LCIF You can go down and there's a tag for Lions Quest programs. And you can uh, download information or you can actually uh, email somebody in that department and they will send you information or they'll call you if you ask them to call you. You do some email stuff back and forth. And there's some really great people there too. I'm I'm always amazed that our staff, uh, LCI and LCIF staff is just excellent.
1: Well, that's, that's, uh, that's good to hear, Tom. Uh, as we wrap up this podcast, is there anything you want to communicate to the listeners out there about Quest?
0: Uh, it, first of all, you have to remember to call it Lion's Quest. Because Quest. we own the – Lion's Quest, yeah. We own the program now. Um, in the beginning, it was uh, formulated by uh, a young man named Rick Little, not Rich Little, the comedian, but Rick Little. And uh, although I guess Rich Little could play Rick Little. Anyway, uh, Rick Little, who started it off with the Quest, uh, his sort of his foundation was the Quest International Center in Ohio. And uh, it sort of branched out from there. And then Lions were looking for a drug abuse and prevention program, 1983. And they invited everybody in and they saw this and they thought that was the best one. And really, you know, back then we had somebody called the drug abuse chairperson. <laughs> In districts, and uh, it fell under their uh uh bailiwick to do uh Lions Quest programs initially, and uh, now uh, most people are calling this Youth Opportunities rather than the Jug of bruce chairman, and uh, it's expanded uh, tremendously from that. I just uh I think you know just about every line should have a look at that, you know. And if we get back to forums, uh, I know we're missing this year's forum, it's not going to be uh live, they're talking about trying to do it now virtually, and maybe they will. Um, but we've done a lot of virtual stuff on too, and I think if you go, no I know, if you go to the uh, uh, virtual events page, there's a, a couple of uh, webinars on there about people talking about Lions Quest programs and the potential that you know kids have and that we can uh, take that potential and, and turn ourselves into a better society than we are today.
1: Um, I think that uh, puts a nice bow on it there. Uh, thank you once again for uh, coming to the podcast here and teaching our listeners and giving some really insightful views on Lion's Quest. Uh, I really appreciate it.
0: Well, thank you very much for the op- opportunity to spread the good word. And uh, if uh, people want to get a hold of me, you can just uh, relay that on to me, Paul, if you like.
1: All right, I can do that. Well, this has been the Roaring Lions podcast. Uh, This is Paul Fugit, and as always, uh, stay safe out there and continue to serve.